Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. soundtrack to a life chris here coming at you live from lockdown and with me once again is dan hello dan hi chris dan and i are here today talking about the spin doctors 1991 album pocket full of kryptonite dan tell me about this piece of music what is your relationship with it pocket full of kryptonite is not the debut album of the spin doctors but it was their breakout hit the peak of their entire recording career And I came across it in the early 90s, and I was on a school trip to the Mediterranean, as one does, and was cruising around uh, instead of bonding with my classmates, because that felt strange and hard. I was wandering the decks of the cruise ship in the dark of night with the wind blasting at me, lip-syncing along to Jimmy Olsen's blues, and trying not to run into the guidance counselor a second time, because that had to look awkward. I was frightened at a very peak point in a verse when that happened. So this being the early 90s, when you picked one physical media and you listened to it all the way through and then had the option of switching, this was one of my travel albums. And I got deep into all of Pocketful of Kryptonite and I followed them into Cleopatra's Cat. And then I bought their debut. Basically, the shaggery is the better you can sort of expect this to be, although I guess there is a limit. Because I don't think he cut his hair between Pocketful of Kryptonite and Cleopatra's cat. That makes sense. So it's the reverse of the Elvis Costello beard theory. So then I went back to um, a different Mediterranean cruise last summer, my first one in over two decades. And cruise ships had come a long way and are still plague ships of environmental blight. But they're fun. But I definitely made myself a travel playlist heavily featuring a uh, pocket full of kryptonite as well as at least one album of Sarah Nimitz and the debut album of Jade Bird, who we discussed on this podcast in 2019 when concerts were a thing. I remember going to see shows. God damn. That was a good time. Never been on a cruise. I believe that a lot of things will come back and I'll do and enjoy them again. I feel like my window for going on a cruise as I'm saying it out loud may have closed. It's entirely possible. Like, so, I've enjoyed every cruise I've been on. Deep down, I know that there are parts I shouldn't have. It was kind of like being in an all-inclusive resort, except every morning you're somewhere else. Yeah, I think all-inclusives are going to do better after the cruise industry tried to murder us all. Yes. It's weird that this came out in 1991. I thought that these guys were a bigger deal much later. Like, did it take forever to catch fire, or...? It could be one of those things where, like, the album comes out, and it's a moderate or mild success, and then one of their songs gets used in the soundtrack of a popular movie, and suddenly it's back. That could be. That could I be. I feel Betty and June did that for The Proclaimers, and the trailer for Pineapple Express did that for M.I.A., so it could be that just down the road, suddenly there was a resurgence of love for Jimmy Olsen's Blues and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong and Two Princes, which... Those three are the triumvirate of Spin Doctor's hits. They are 
the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Captain America, Thor, Iron Man of the Spin Doctors oeuvre. That is definitely the case because I had never heard this record, but obviously I am familiar with Two Princes. Everyone knows Two Princes. Two Princes is no longer a song. Two Princes is just cultural information that we are now born with. It lives with the Hawaii 5.0 theme or the loose plots of Star Wars or Harry Potter or the chorus of tub thumping in our brain. And none of us remember ever having learned it. It's just something that's in there. Yeah. I have absolutely followed coworkers around singing uh, Two Princes at them when I was working at Red Lobster on slow nights. And I, they absolutely found it very annoying. And I absolutely did not let that stop me because that song is not designed to be resisted. It's going to fuck you right up. No, you just do the if you want to call me baby bit until their spirit breaks. Oh, yeah. I certainly know none of the words. Uh, is is there a part about how one of the princes has diamonds in his pockets and wants to buy you rockets? Uh, yes, he both has diamonds in his pockets. How about that now? But I think it's the other one who wants to buy you rockets. He ain't in his head now. Okay, because here's the thing. If the same prince wants to buy you rockets and has diamonds in his pockets, now I think that the song is about Elon Musk. But if he has diamonds in his pockets, he probably could just buy you rockets. Yeah, now it suddenly feels like a song about how Grimes should leave Elon Musk and then hook up with the dude from Spin Doctors, which I'm open should. to that. It feels like a little bit of a healthier relationship based on everything I've learned since they had their improbably named baby. Do you know what? If they want to call that baby, they should go ahead now. Yep. Man, we are cranking out the really niche content. Are we just going to write rewrite this song to be about this relationship? It's not like that kid's classmates are going to have to worry about how to pronounce that series of symbols that he was named. All names are a series of symbols when you get down to it. They're just going to call him Rich Kid, because that's always going to be true. I just, I truly do not feel like that kid's going to go to school with regular kids. No. <laughs> Having to deal with human bullies in a normal childhood is not something that indecipherable code is ever going to have to deal with in his life. Absolutely not. And, I mean, as somebody with a very boring and basic name with the opposite problem, the kid's going to go by Musk. He's definitely going to go by Musk. 100%. The adult version of that kid is going to go by Musky, or something to do with the last name, which is a human name, though not a great one. Definitely going to have rich friends calling him Muskrat. 1,000%. And Jimmy Olsen's Blues starts off this record perfectly. Like, of the three enormous hits... I feel like this was the one that was the lesser of the three. Like, if that makes any sense to you, like it was not as omnipresent as Little Miss or Two Princes. No, it was the inspiration for the title of the album, but it's not the breakout of the album. It did business, though, because I definitely do remember it. And I did not listen to Spin Doctors on purpose at the time. So it had a certain amount of cultural saturation. And like it deserves to. It's a big, crunchy riff with a little bit too much reverb in that way that all 90s rock enjoyed a little bit too much reverb, and I didn't notice it at the time, but then somebody pointed it out to me, and then I listened to all the records I loved from this era, and wow! A lot of reverb. Yeah, like you don't, as you're growing up, realize what parts of the music you're listening to is going to date. No, it's impossible to guess, and then suddenly you look back 10 years ago, oh, nobody does that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's that. Like, you could definitely, if you'd asked me, I definitely would have said some of the Sad Boy stuff from the early 90s would date. 
Yep. But, but it, no. That's all still fine. There are so many sad boy performers out there. Uh, it turns out it's the reverb effect on the guitars and some of the vocals. Yep. And uh, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong is also like just a weird little white funk number that it's hard not to smile during. Like The singles off of this were really solid. There is a lovability to this. I will tell you, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong is a harder number to do in karaoke than Two Princes when musical theater is not part of your skill set. And there are a lot of key changes you are just not braced for. There are weird key changes, and also he is singing very fast. Like, he is pumping words out there in a way that, yeah, I definitely see would be difficult to recreate four drinks in for a song you did not write. Yes, even if you listen to it for most of high school. Even if you won over a woman you would later marry for a while by singing Two Princes at a different karaoke bar. Man, that is a fun story to meet a former wife with. Bunch of us went out for karaoke. I was going because the girl organizing it was super cute. I sang Two Princes. She thought to herself, maybe I should break up with my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) The 90s were wild, man. It was more when she was back home. It was like, okay, forget that guy. Forget that guy. I've got my guy here. Forget the charming Canadian I met in L.A. And Two Princes comes on the radio. She's like, fuck. No, yeah, they've got a point. (laughs) That one? He wants to buy me rockets. He ain't in his head now. But he knows what a princely lover is supposed to be. She realized that you had the princely racket, that you wore the princely jacket. Again, I know none of the words. I only just say things that rhyme. Yeah, it's the other guy that's got the princely racket and some big seal upon his jacket. Man. And if you marry him, your father will condone you. But if you marry me, your father will disown you. And she lived in fear of that for our entire marriage. Well, that's what happens when you... Can't you see? I, I feel like that's how that part of the chorus goes, yeah? I, am... I did not know at the time that I ain't got no future or family tree. It's going to be quite as relevant as it turned out to be. Oof. Well, it turns out none of us had a future, so that's not a problem. No, this is the 90s. We all thought things would be basically okay. Absolutely. We were still spending our parents' boomer money, enjoying the prosperity of the 20th century and assuming it would continue. Oh, young us. There's so much we have to warn you about. I know this isn't like a super PC position to have. I'm glad we caught the tail end of that, though. It was fun. It was a good run. Western civilization, say what you will about it, but some dope bands came from there. And for a while, it was really fun. It was a good time for a while. Now we got to watch everything dissolve. Might not make it long enough to watch things begin to reform into a usable stance. But hey, at least we had the fun times. I suppose to all you poor bastard Zoomers out there who tuned in just in time for Western society to crack like an egg. Oh, I feel like they'll be fine. They'll work hard. They'll do the opposite thing from us, where their life is really hard. But then as they enter their 50s or 60s, things are good again. And they will get a sliver of 15 or 20 years. They'll get a fun whatever replaces retirement at that point. Yeah, it'll be the same amount of good civilization as we get, just presented at a different time. So, of the B tracks of Pocket Full of Kryptonite, my favorite that I want to talk about is Off My Line, because this is a thing that happened once per album 
with the spin doctors is that the lead guitarist or whoever would get a chance to be lead vocalist for one song. Be like the main vocalist is just going to do yeah yeah backup vocals on this one. You get to be lead on this one. Let's see what that's like. It's usually a kind of solid track. Like the number two lead vocalist of the Spin Doctors, who is also a guitarist, he's a decent singer. You'll note a very distinct shift in the vocals between Two Princes and Off My Line. And then you'll notice uh, very clearly the main vocalist is still there. He's just hype manning the chorus for this new lead singer. Good. I mean, and that does uh, add a nice level of texture to the record as it plays out uh, whenever a band does that. I like I like groups with two or three singers that they switch between, especially when the band itself has such a like house style to it. Yep. Like, let's let's shake things up a bit in a less drug addled way than fuck it. Let Ringo sing on this one. Yeah, no one no one asked. No one asked that. No one asked. Well, Ringo may have asked that. Ringo probably asked that. He's like, I'm literally the only one. But yeah, that's like that's my favorite thing about a Sloan show is that all four people play everything and everyone sings the songs that they wrote. Yeah. So they're all going to swap instruments three or four times over the course of the gig. It's like the Danny Behar songs for the new pornographers, except less of a left turn instrumentally. Yeah, because he does still fit into what they're doing, but he sounds a lot of different. Yes. Similar quality guitar riffs, very different vocal styling. A lot more gravelly, a lot less falsetto. It's a shame that he finally left, even though Destroyer Records are very good right now. Yeah. I get why he left. His own records are extremely good and getting some of the attention that he feels rightly that he deserves. That's a good reason for it. (laughs) Right? But I did like him as part of that band. I wish that there were two of him. Is that, I guess, where I'm coming down? I think I think that's where we're at. Was there was a second Dan Behar? That feels unreasonable of me to hang around backstage at the concert drinking wine until someone shouts, "Behar, get out of here!" <laughs> he waters out and he sings a song or two and just drifts into the background again. Yeah, they didn't use him enough, but I don't know what songs I would cut for more songs by him. So maybe this is the correct way to do it. And yeah, the two singers here, um, singers here before you, that's what they said. No, anyway. Uh, the use of the lead guitarist on the track does a similar job here because the regular, what's the name of the regular vocalist? Chris Barron is the primarily lead vocals. And Eric Schenkman is the lead vocals on Off My Line, the primary guitarist, and uh, did piano on 40 or 50. Nice. But yeah, like uh, Chris as a vocalist has a really unique and confident and relaxed singing style like he's really comfortable with these songs and he wants for you to feel comfortable listening to them yes like you're invited to their party and you feel very welcome living in this piece of music plus just yeah the way that he delivers little miss little miss little miss can't be wrong is a goddamn delight yeah ain't nobody gonna bow no more when you bang your gong doing the too fast unkaraokeable songs fully eight years before bare naked ladies got around to it Yes. And then putting them on a record that sounds pretty good at a house party. It would work well at a house party. I believe an episode of Futurama, there was a fight over the radio between Bender and the ship, and Bender wanted on an alt-rock, and the ship played Pocket Full of Kryptonite, and Bender shouted, That's not alt-rock! That's college rock! (laughs) Oh, that joke is for such a specific age cohort. 
but man, it lands if you understand that limited time frame. Uh, I could, we could go down a rabbit hole here and then debate what year College Rock became Alt Rock, but I will spare my listeners that. That would be a pretty deep rabbit hole. Instead, I'll go with something equally specific. All right, wandering around during the era of physical media for music. What was the correct number of cassettes to carry around with you? Uh, I would usually, on a typical school day, I had one cassette because I'm a freak and I can listen to one cassette for a week. I am an outlying specimen when it comes to getting tired of media. I need very specific circumstances with which to do that. There is a Paul Weller record that I listened to and nothing else for a week semi-recently, but that definitely involved being hospitalized with only one record on my phone. I think on an average school trip, I had two to three cassette tapes with me. Maybe four. Call it three. We'll call it three, give or take. And for my most recent trip, uh, my cruise playlist had, I think, a total of four albums on it. Pocketful of Kryptonite, Jade Bird debut album, uh, Sarah Nemitz Waiting for the Day, and I may have also had debut album from Gracie Turgeon on there, who is a soft jazz singer out of New York who plays a ukulele harp, which I did not know is an instrument, and has the voice of an angel. So I had her on there somewhere, too. Nice. And yeah, this does actually, I, yeah, I probably would, I probably would top it three or four tapes, although less for a trip and more for just wandering around. Yeah. For me, I was trying to explain to, um, Liv the concept of physical media where you would take like two or three tapes and put them in a bag and then that was literally all of the music that you could listen to all day. And she was horrified. The way we used to live. <laughs> And it's like I had to spend time forging that mixtape by myself. I couldn't just punch 12 songs into a search engine, and there they are. It is so much harder to make a mixtape today than it was in the 90s. I did that as an over-elaborate Christmas gift slash bit last year when I turned Olav into a hipster on accident. I made him a mixtape and then gave it to him but then realized that he probably wouldn't have the technology to play a cassette. So I got him a Walkman. And then I realized that he probably didn't need a Walkman for just like one cassette. So I bought him a selection of cassettes from Recordland. Anyway, you're a hipster now. You're a cassette person. This is your life. Yeah, you basically just gave him a new personality. <laughs> you to listen to a one mixtape. I've fully that guide you. But it turns out making a mixtape is a nightmare. You have to download um, specific software to get things off a Spotify playlist onto a CD. And then you have to find a stereo with a CD and cassette. That does sound worse than just putting the radio on my cassette player, having my fingers hovering over the play record buttons, and hoping against hope that they would play stutter rap before bedtime. Ooh, stutter rap was so dumb and i loved it it was it was the perfect parody of beastie boys for young children who have never heard the beastie boys will not get any of these references until they get older absolutely like and i had heard no sleep till bedtime a solid decade before i heard no sleep till brooklyn even once yeah it's because they understood the lonely island principle of writing parody music 
it also just was a good example of the genre they were meaning to make fun of. Conveniently also funny. Yeah. Now, here's some tracks about Pocketville of Kryptonite. I'm not positive have aged particularly well. Uh, number one, clocking in at just under five minutes, making it the second longest song on the entire album, is How Could You Want Him When You Know You Could Have Me, which plays as a sort of whiny incel anthem, and that's not a good color on anybody. Oh, especially not for these guys. Like, you've got a loose, vibey, jammy, white funk record happening where several of the songs are less songs as extended grooves they can just like fall into and let wash over you. I didn't pick up the lyrics in cell angle at all while this was happening. I was just kind of getting off on how the music washed over me. Yeah, which is a good way to do. I do not pay attention to the lyrics of Refrigerator Car at all, but I love just getting caught up in the guitar riffs and just drifting with it. Here are some of the lyrics of Refrigerator Car to show that I'm right to uh, not care about them. Hit me. You never loved your frozen freight, perishables and bloodless meat. You rolling snowball soul of sleet. You never wait. That's the chorus. It's not a good chorus. But put that guitar riff under it, and it's a pretty strong chorus. Well, that's the thing. This is definitely uh, the kind of band that took a lot of influence from like your Parliament Funkadelics or your Sly Stones where it's more about what the music makes you feel than what it's trying to say. Yeah. I definitely, as of, what time is it? 4.30. It's not late. It's early. I'm going to be checking out on the lyrics from here on in a little bit and letting waves of jam band guitars wash over me like the sea. Fun fact, what time is it is the song that plays into the name of the band because it is about spin-doctoring presidential figures. Picture whoever's job it is to stand up in front of the press and say what President Selena Meyer meant to say was, that's this song. All right, I'm re-listening to it as soon as we're done, because I am going to take some political hot takes from the spin doctors. Am I going to like those takes? Only time will tell, but I am on board to receive them. To follow off the point of any given song is the mood it creates rather than the lyrics written. 40 or 50 is the one downbeat song in the whole album, and I don't love it. Like, maybe the album needed a downbeat just for variation. I don't know that this is the one they needed. Maybe. I would probably argue that they don't need that. Like, this is already a party record that makes you wish you smoked more pot than you do. Not unlike the entire oeuvre of Mother Mother. Except I think listening to Mother Mother qualifies as a contact high. It's true. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe they didn't need a slow song. They could just lean in and be that band. Yeah, maybe you don't need to flex your way into, also, we have this uh, more maudlin track where we complain about laboratory testing. Wait, we got one We got one about spin-doctoring a president, and we also have one about laboratory testing? There's one lyric about laboratory testing. Don't give it too much thought. Like, given how improvised some of these lyrics sound as they're happening... It also includes the lyric, an epidemic has been stopped, which is the most hopeful lyric that our current era has ever heard. Do you know what? I would happily listen to whatever thoughts spin doctors might have on what we should be doing right now. I feel like we've tried everything else. Somebody should be really writing the ring around the rosy for the COVID era. There's so many coronavirus songs. 
we don't need to deal with that. I suppose then the competition becomes who gets to be the ring around the Rosie. That is very true. And uh, and yeah, like, like this is an incredibly 90s sounding record in terms of production and also aesthetic in a way that I'm imagining somebody five years older or younger might be put off by. But it is hitting me right in my sweet spot. And Two Princes is absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of 90s songs that I like, but don't know that I respect. Right. Like, it's going to be Two Princes. It's got to be Chumbawamba. It's probably got to be, I want to say, Semi-Charmed Life. Oh, dear. And the fourth one might be Hey Leonardo. Uh, which one's Hey Leonardo? Slice me for me! Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> Come on, Dan. <laughs> Granted, you hated that song. But you were... I, I guarantee you, she does not love you because you look like that guy who played in Fargo. You think his name was Steve. Granted, you hated that song, but you were so young when you hated that song. And you enjoyed hating that song so much. And don't you just wish that you could go back and hate that song again? Hating that song is a lot more fun than hating Drops of Jupiter, I will admit. That's what I'm saying. Now, here's the risk of putting Pocketful of Kryptonite on just a playlist and hitting shuffle. You never know when you might get snuck up on by Shinbone Alley slash Hard to Exist. <laughs> Which is like two different songs. Just kind of Frankenstein together. Sort of a half-third song acting as a loose bridge in between them. As they just started jamming and they drifted into a completely different song. Played that song to its exist, gave it a particularly long outro, bringing it in at 12 minutes and 42 seconds, the longest on the track, by 7 minutes and 43 seconds. Do you know what, though? By virtue of who this band is, I'd have been angry if they did not end their record on a 13-minute extended funk jam that kind of fell apart in the middle. This is a band that seems like they require a 13-minute stoned jam track where they yeah. kind of lose their way and sort of don't know how to end it. Yeah, and Hard to Exist kind of slaps. Like, it shows I off... Shinbone Alley slapped a little harder than Hard to Exist. Yeah? I think the whole thing, like, it shows everything about the Spin Doctors that is lovable. Like, it's a big, shaggy, dumb, fun, silly song at the end of a big, shaggy, dumb, fun, silly record. Yep. It, it, it is what B-Sides... Which, last time I was on your show, we discussed with your younger viewers what B-sides are. <laughs> yep. Based on the far less obsolete technology of vinyl, because it's just a funnier bit, and all of the cassette tapes you had to do was flip it around and play the other side so it would rewind itself. Your options were listen to the other half of the album, or sit in silence for three minutes while the tape reversed. Yeah, and uh, realistically, by the time this ridiculous funk jam starts... You're already 40 minutes into a Spin Doctors record. Clearly, you're on board with this. And it's not an onerous stoned jam, because it's about minute eight or nine when you start realizing, wait, this has all been one song and it's still happening. Yeah, they really, um, it's like a Clockwork Orange teaching you a language that you previously did not speak. Like, all of the radio singles are front-loaded onto this to get you used to the fact that you are listening to a Spin Doctors record. And then it starts like spooling out weirder and weirder stuff as it goes on. And then for the last 13 minute jam, you get out of it and you think, hmm, they really got me here without me realizing where they were taking me. 
But yes, I guess I enjoy 90s jam bands. Yep. Do you fuck with any of the other uh, jam bands? Are you a Dave Matthews guy? I'm a bit of a Dave Matthews guy. Not long after my Spin Doctors phase, I had Dave Matthews in my head for an entire weekend convention in Los Angeles. Because I did, in fact, eat too much, drink too much lemonade, (laughs) and the third thing too much. Not smoke. I figured out a third thing for that. But I had far too many giant American cheeseburgers and felt full and bloated all the time. That's a Dave Matthews time. I don't, uh, I don't, and then guess fish would be the other one. Fish I'm less up on. That was working in this area. Yeah, I never got into any of them. They felt like bands that I would enjoy live more than recorded. I sadly barely knew who was in the Traveling Wilburys when the Traveling Wilburys were a thing. Yeah, yeah. Then decades later, look back and went, holy shit, what a giant collection of names were in the Traveling Wilburys even after Roy Orbison died. There are, yeah, there are a lot of Wilburys. Yep. And apparently their later albums are incoherent jam sessions, but that just draws me in more. Right? Like, I definitely would watch the Spin Doctors show where every single one of these songs clocks in at about nine minutes. Yep. I could see them taking their time on some bridges. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen them live? I have not seen them live. Well, mental Uh, note to catch a Spin Doctors show with you once we're allowed to go to concerts again. As soon as that's happening, and is assuming that they are touring and not all dead. I looked that up, and they do still tour, though they haven't lately. I do believe that that is lockdown-specific and not just, like, we're tired of this. Because, yeah, they stopped very suddenly toward the tail end of last year. Yeah, and uh, there's a common factor on everybody who did that. Yep, and these guys do feel like if I caught them live... I want to say as part of a package tour with Gin Blossoms and Soul Asylum. For some reason, I associate those artists with one another in spite of the fact that they're totally pretty different. That would be a very diverse evening of music, but, but maybe also, that's half the fun. But also a very specific one. Like, if you asked someone to describe the median fan of all three of those bands... I did have at least one Gin Blossom CD. Jim Blossoms was good. They had some decent, if harmless, tracks. Yeah. And while this is probably not going to be relevant, if the theater ever opens up again, the next show is about a uh, haunted rock and roll museum. Right. And I, I was listening to this going, I bet, I bet I could get like 90 minutes worth of improv out of an impersonation of the Spin Doctors guy. I think you could. What I need, like an Afghan, that one Peruvian hat. Grow a beard out a bit. Yeah. Not shaved for three or four months. It's fine. Spotify did these guys dirty. Did they? Well, yes and no, because they definitely, the version of this on Spotify has every possible B-side and live version and demo that you could possibly throw on. So that's a weird amount of respect to be giving to a Spin Doctors album. But also, Spin Doctors are found on their one-hit wonders from the 90s playlist, and they had three hits, goddammit. They had minimum three hits. They may have had a fourth. They definitely had three. We had this fight. And you accused me of making one of their hits up. And I had to reply, Cleopatra's Cat, title hat of their third album, generally considered a disappointing follow-up to Pocketful of Kryptonite. Do not test me on the Spin Doctors! Man, I just, there's, I don't feel like Cleopatra's Cat exists. It's their uh, weird Sato Vache jazz song. Do you know what? That is something that I want from the Spin Doctors. 
I was going to say less scatting than their previous hits, and then I remembered how much scatting there is in Two Princes. Quite a bit. Not none. That is very true. And I find it a lot more interesting culturally. Like, one-hit wonders are fun, but my favorite is when a band comes out and has, like, four or five enormous hits, but all in 18 months. Like, just, we're going to dominate the public consciousness this year, and then part of next year, and then... We're done. That is it for us. Like, your Men at Works or your Cindy Loppers, or your Hootie and the Blowfish, or your Fine Young Cannibals? Oh, yeah. Fine Young Cannibals were huge for a very limited amount of time. And then it was like, isn't that the Fine Young Cannibals guy as a villain on Highlander the series? And why not? It's not like he was busy being a cannibal that was fine and slash or young. He was one of the mean immortals who cheated. That son of a bitch. Just gas grenades you and cut your head off. So what did uh, what did stop them after this? Like, was uh, their second record a misunderstood masterpiece? Was it just bad? Was it that they would have done better if this had come out in 1995 when there were a bunch of other jam bands that they could tour with? Well, world seems to have forgotten their self-titled debut album. I sure Certainly, did. Certainly uh, Wikipedia has forgotten about it. Honestly, Wikipedia has more than one gap on this one, but they seem to have continued releasing albums into the 2000s. It's just that I don't think they ever quite hit that Little Miss Can't Be Wrong Two Princes peak again. Yeah, this feels like a band that does not want to make radio music, but who is doing it to find an audience. And that does feel like it could lead to a place where they get to where they want and go, well, Two Princes money will never run out and we can tour for the rest of our lives. Fuck yeah, radio. By way of example, a pocket full of kryptonite hit number three in the United States and number two in the UK, four times platinum in Canada. Turn it upside down, went to 28 in the U.S., third again in the U.K., respectable, only one-time platinum in the U.S. versus five for pocket, and only gold in Canada. Yeah. You've got to believe in something, hit 93 in Germany, and that's as good as it did anywhere. Oof. Spin Doctors. That is a swift rise and calamitous fall, and yet you are better remembered than Hootie. This is true. Hootie and the Blowfish are more remembered for having a ridiculous name than any of their songs other than the one. Right? And they were just, they were the biggest band in the world. They did that thing where a bar band that is pretty good convinces the world that they are their local bar band that is pretty good. Yep. Like, if you walked into a bar and those guys were playing, you wouldn't walk out. Nope, you'd enjoy that bar set. That is just fine. I'm going to go talk to them later. I might buy a cassette off the side of the stage. They're perfectly good. Opening act for me being able to have an actual conversation in this bar. And then 30 million people decide that they're uh, pretty good. And suddenly everyone owns houses. And they uh, give, what was it, 5440? The big cash influx they need by buying one of their songs because they didn't want to do one of their actual songs from the Friends soundtrack. What a, yeah. 5440 paid their mortgages off with Friends money. What a weird reason for a band to make money. And all they had to do was let Hootie and the Blowfish sing one of their songs on the Friends soundtrack. Just fine. 90s CanCon bands have made money in weirder ways. Go for it and grab that bag, 5440. The weirdest way that a Canadian band from the 90s has ever made money was the Tea Party, who sold their website address to American conservatives. That is the weirdest way for a Canadian band to make money. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, I probably, for a little while... Would have kept TeaParty.com in order to confuse American conservatives as to why they were being linked through to a Canadian 90s band. 
Yeah. You're right. A check big enough would have probably moved me. But yeah. Was the next one bad? Uh, like, the was- next one, Turn It Upside Down. Apparently Cleopatra's Cat was not the title track. It was still good. It was still uh, you know, very similar. All these tracks are basically on the same level uh, as your refrigerator cars. What time is it? The one song that Shankman sang is still a good like top half of the album song and more his style. Cleopatra's Cat worked for me, even though it's a weird lower jazz song about a cat uh, breaking up the Roman Empire or something. Do you know what? I don't hate it. That feels on brand for them. He got his claws on Caesar's spats. <laughs> okay, I know that you've assured me that this song exists and is not a bit. Is this song a bit? Oh, this is a real song. <laughs> Are you positive? Because, like, I want to believe you, because every time I attempt to explain the song Swagger Jagger, the song by Cher Lloyd, whose verses are about how you like Swagger Jagger, the song by Cher Lloyd, and the bridges are about how you can't stop thinking about the song Swagger Jagger by Cher Lloyd. And this then is the another chorus, bit from Comedy Bang Bang, isn't it? This is just the, another... No, no, no. And then the chorus uh, encourages you to dance to the song Swagger Jagger by Cher Lloyd and is also to the tune of Oh My Darling Clementine. And they never tell you how to dance to Swagger Jagger. The chorus, I think, is about how somebody keeps trying to jack her swagger, but this was during that period in the late 2000s where uh, the Rolling Stones had a comeback based on the fact that Mick Jagger's last name rhymes with the word swagger and everyone wanted to use that for something. Yep, that's content. (laughs) And yeah, it does sound like a bit, but it was a real song and it was, I want to say terrible, but I also kind of loved it. I lost some faith that this is a real song as soon as the tune of My Darling Clementine entered into it. I didn't have a lot of faith. I already was trying to figure out if this is a Lauren Lapkus bit or a Scott Ackerman bit. It's never a Scott Ackerman bit. He always has to play himself. Maybe a Nick Kroll. This sounds like a Nick Kroll song. Was this Nick Kroll? I swear to you it's real. There is such thing as Swagger Jagger. It definitely rhymed Swagger with Mick Jagger. As you have already heard from Maroon 5 and also briefly from Kesha and also the Black Eyed Peas. Those are all people who have rhymed Jagger with Swagger. I want to say all four of those songs came out in the same month. Kesha asked us to believe that looking like desiccated mummy Mick Jagger was her high point for physical attractiveness because she needed a rhyme for Swagger. I mean, Adam Levine dances like a 70-year-old man and brags about it in song. I'm not saying rhyming swagger with jagger worked. I'm just saying we all rhymed swagger with jagger. It was a wild time. I'm going to blow your mind for a little here. I think he rhymes jagger with jagger. Oh, that is... That is some Maroon 5. That is some Maroon 5. In terms of overwhelmingly white funk bands, I will take the Spin Doctors every day. As will I. Which I guess gets us pretty close to an hour. I will end the episode, as I tend to, by answering three questions, I guess. I, when I finished listening to this, was pretty sure that I was not going to listen to Spin Doctors again. But as time went by and it was allowed to marinate in my brain, I've gotten to a place where I might. Yeah, just chill out, relax, listen to some Spin Doctors. Will you read your book in a sunny day? 
Yeah, like it's. I think it's definitely music that you need to live with and that grows on you. And now I'm kind of getting a kick out of it, and I kind of do want to see them live. And you do, you do want to hear if Cleopatra's cat is real, don't you? I kind of want to hear if Cleopatra's cat is real. When otherwise, th- it's just like Schrodinger's thing that might be alive. Yeah, when this is done, we both have to text each other videos because I am confident that Cleopatra's cat is not a thing. I may well explore the rest of their catalog, uh, which is the best spin doctors that is not this. Uh, the best spin doctors. Go on before uh, after. How memorable I found the other album of theirs. I bought the uh, the best one other than this one is probably Turn It Upside Down, and I base that off the fact that nobody listened to their subsequent albums, including me. So really, how great could say I mean, if could... the river was whiskey, 2013 have been. I mean, so now I want to know. I it could have been great. It could have been great. I'm going to find me a copy of If the River Was Whiskey, because that's an intriguing question to me. There's truly no way of knowing if they're good now. But I definitely think that they are a band with enough goodwill that regardless of whether they are, they will be packing mid-sized venues like River Cree type situations with people who have a really warm feeling toward them and a good sense of, yeah, that seems like a show. Let's go. They'll be playing a lot of smaller casinos. And I will I will attend if they do one here. This has been fun as hell. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us. You guys, one sentence review, five stars. Helps so much in terms of finding an audience. You have no idea. Dan, plug your plugs. Uh, I blog about nerd TV and travel and my theatrical endeavors at talesfrompartsunknown.com. You can find my web series at writerscircletheseries.com or by searching for Writer's Circle on your average YouTube. And that would be a fun use of your afternoon. Hell yeah, that was a good show. I tweet at Danny underscore G if the occasional like B to B plus level attempt to be funny on Twitter amuses you. Sometimes you gotta. And good for you for giving out your actual social media things. Olaf was a coward and then refused, just refused, to give me a tight 45-minute version of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness to infuriate Smashing Pumpkins fanboys with. Oh, cowardly indeed. (laughs) I know. And as far as the song that we're going out on, it's obviously Two Princes. Like, that song was a monster. An entire summer sounded like that. For all of us, whether we consented to that or not. Oh, it's a summer jam to be sure. It is the song of the summer. They don't need to hit number one. They can just be massive hits that were on the radio every single day for an entire summer. Yes. This has been the soundtrack to a life, everybody. We're going to be back in two weeks with somebody doing something I haven't decided yet. And Dan's going to be back if he wants at some point. It could very much happen. You are very welcome. It is always a pleasure. And frankly, it's not like either one of us are busy. Nope. I had nothing else going on today. See you in two weeks, y'all.